Let's turn our Bibles this morning to John chapter 21. We've been studying the Gospel of John now for just over a year. We have uh, looked at not every passage, not every verse. It has not been exhaustive. I think we've hit some things that that really needed uh, to be addressed, uh, perhaps in well, maybe my own life, and you happen to get it, or in the life of this church. Um, and it has been, I think, very profitable for us to go work through the entire book and to see how John lays these things out. Okay, so we will conclude today with, uh, you know, this passage is probably one of those passages you may have learned in Sunday school when you were a little kid. It's Jesus' questions to Peter. Do you love me? And Peter says, oh, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he says, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yeah, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He says, do you really love me? He says, oh, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And, and, and if you look at it that way, you get kind of a, you know, well, Jesus is challenging Peter, and he wants him to, to feed his sheep and, and nurture the flock. And you can get a warm fuzzy from that. This is not a warm fuzzy passage, Okay. And I hate to say it, but as I looked at it this week, it got nastier and nastier. Uh, Nasty in the sense because it demands so much from us. Jesus is not saying, Peter, if you love me, just go feed my sheep, would you? He's saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I really, yeah, I, I do. And he says, then let me see it. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, well, yeah, you know, I love you. I I really do. I like you a lot. And he says, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus, and I'm giving you the short version of the sermon already, he says, I don't think you really even like me. And Peter says, no, I do. And he says, do the work that I call you to do. And when we look at this passage and apply in our lives, oh, it just beat on me this week. You know, remember, you only get it for 30 minutes. I get all week. I get it all week. So we had better pray. You better stand up if you're able, and I'll read the word and we'll pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage today, open our eyes to this. It is a hard thing, and your words are hard. But we know that your word says, my grace is sufficient. You never call us to things that are beyond our ability to do when we understand our weakness, because in that weakness we are made strong by your grace and by your work within it. So, Lord, as we come to you today, send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts that we would understand this, that we would hear your call upon our hearts, and that our lives would never be the same. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 21, and I'll read from 15 until the end of the chapter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, just as an aside, can you imagine that? Jesus has just said to Peter, this is how you're going to die. Now come and follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his breast at the supper. And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? This is what he said at the supper. Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This saying, therefore, went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? There was this rumor that John never died. Okay, That's not what happened. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. These are the final words of John's gospel. And this section contains the sayings of Peter, as I've already mentioned, that if you love Christ, you will act like it. Shocking, isn't it? If I say I'm a gentleman and I come to a door and I let a woman open the door by herself, am I really a gentleman? If I'm on the bus and I'm in a nice cushy seat, and there are three ladies in front of me, and I say I'm a gentleman, if I don't give up my seat to one of those ladies, am I really a gentleman? No, that's the answer, because the proof is in the pudding. Okay, If I say that I'm something, I should act like I'm something. Now, understand, we will never do it perfectly. Don't jump to any conclusions that we can be perfect. We cannot. So if I say that I love Christ, then not only should I act like it, but it should be the consuming thing of my life. Now, imagine that it is October, and what is the consuming thing of your life in October? Well, I bet it's either Auburn or Alabama or Tennessee every now and then, okay? And you can see that you've got people who drive down the road, and they've got that little tiger tail hanging out of their trunk, or they've got the license plate, or they've got the little flag that comes on the window that that goes like that and flutters, naming their favorite school. And and those things just consume them during those times. And and, and you act like it's it's important to you. Okay, If you're really a fan, then you have black and gold on your car for the Steelers. (laughs) These are hard words from Christ today. Hard words. If you love me, You will act like you love me. Christ's call to Peter is a call to action. It is not a call simply to mouth the words. It is a call to become involved in the work that Christ began and the church is to finish. It is not a call to sit there and say, I've got my faith and everything is great in my life. No, it is a call to get out and to do 
Christ did not come and simply hang out in, in, uh, in Bethlehem and stay there. He went out and he demonstrated the things of Christ. He proclaimed the things of the kingdom. This is what he did and this is the call upon Peter's heart. Now, it is hard because we are to do this in a world that may not be particularly loving back to us, may not particularly care that we have these great offerings to give them, these things of grace and mercy. They might, in fact, hate us for announcing those things to them. They might rebel and say, well, you're narrow-minded and you're bigoted because you think this is the only means of salvation. We think it's not my view, it is the Lord's view. Christ says, I give you this command that you are to love one another. Love is to be the motivating factor of obedience. If simply legalism was our motivating factor, we wouldn't get very far. Okay, but the love of Christ, Paul says, constrains me. Now, that doesn't mean holds me back. It's the constraint of compels me. The love of Christ compels me to act in a certain way. It doesn't compel me to sit in my easy chair and watch the world go by. It compels me to act like I love Christ. Romans chapter 1, we preach obedience to the nations for the sake of his name because we are overwhelmed with the love for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That principle is very important. These things are motivated by the love we have received from our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. So Jesus wants to establish in Peter's life that Peter loves him. So he simply asks the question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Oh, yeah, I love you. You know I do. But see, the the English just doesn't get it here. The Greek uses very different words for each question. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And we understand that word to be agape. Do you agape me? So if I had to translate it, it might be, do you really, really, really love me with all that you are? That's the question to Peter. Or maybe, you know, that's the question that comes, or, or the, the first question he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, that's agape, and then he kind of waves his hand. I'm, I'm painting into the picture of what Jesus might have done There's there, there by the lake. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me more than these? And what might he be pointing to? Some people think he's pointing to, to other people. I think he's pointing to the nets and the boats and the water. And the fish. Remember, Jesus is gone, so what does Peter do? He goes back to his profession. He goes back to fishing. That's where Jesus finds him. So he comes and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me more than these? More than the things you have known all your life? More than your profession? More than your boats? And more than your nets? And more than the open water? Do you love me more than these things that you have returned to? Do you really, really love me? What's Peter going to say? Because it wasn't just a couple days ago that Peter had done what? Three times he denied Christ. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence, because I don't believe in those things, that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Okay. Peter, do you really love me? He couldn't say yes. Because he'd already denied him. I mean, in his heart he did, but the response comes like this. Peter, do you really, really love me? And I just imagine Peter going, well, yeah, Lord, you know know that I I love you. You know, maybe you can't look him in the eyes as you know that I, I love you. But his actions had not matched what he said. But what did he say? He didn't say, I agape you. He said, I phileo you. I love you. It might more be like... um, 
Jesus says, do you really, really love me? And, Jesus, and Peter says, well, I like you a lot. Okay, that's the English translation. I like you a lot. Okay, which wasn't cut. That's not the question Jesus asked. Do you love me enough to give up everything in your life? And Peter says, I like you a lot. And you know what he does? He asks him a second time. He says, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you really, really, really love me? And what does Peter say? Well, you know I, I love you. I like you a lot. Peter cannot bring himself to say that he loves him in the way that Jesus is asking him because his actions have not demonstrated that love. His actions have not demonstrated that love. Well, the first response, 15, he says, says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know I like you a lot. Well, Jesus says, tends my lambs, feed them. Okay, spiritually nurture them, give them the food that they need. The second time he says the same thing. He says, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. He says, shepherd the sheep. Not only feed them, but guard them, protect them. Do the things, uh, the work of a shepherd in the context of the church, in the work of Christ. The third time Jesus asked the question, he changes the words. He no longer says, do you agape me? Do you really, really, really love me? Because it's already been determined by Peter's answer that he can't bring himself to say that because his life doesn't reflect those things. He says, Peter, I've asked you twice. Do you really, really love me? And he kind of challenges him, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this. He says, I'm not even sure you like me right now. I'm not even sure you really like me. Jesus is calling Peter's confession that he likes him into doubt, into question, because Peter's life has not reflected the work of Christ. It has not reflected the work of Christ. Peter's boasted twice. Lord, you know I have great affection for you, but that's not enough. Jesus says, really, does your life show that you have this great love for me, this great affection for me? I'm not sure that even shows that you like me. By evidence in your life. By evidence of your life. And what does it say about Peter at this point? It says it hurt Peter. It, in a sense, cut him to the quick that Jesus saw right through him and said, I know what's in your heart, Peter. Then we read that in, already in, in, in Psalm 139. It says he knows our hearts. He knows what's in our mind. He knows what the words we are about to say. He understands Peter's hearts, Peter's heart. And Jesus doesn't waste any more time. He meant to get his attention. And he wounds Peter in this. And the reason he wounds Peter in this is so that he might heal him. Remember, Jesus never hurts us, never wounds us, unless he is about to heal us. There's this classic Puritan prayer, Lord, break me so that you might build me up. Break me so that you might build me up. And and Jesus cuts Peter right to the quick, opens him up, opens up his false perception so that Jesus can come and heal that wound and put truth right into his life. As I said, this this is hard, and it's going to get harder here in just a second. Because we, as individuals, in this day and time, cannot say that we love Christ if we're not demonstrating the love of Christ. Ah, I love Jesus. He's the most important thing in my life. Great. What do you do for him? 
Great. Are you doing any type of ministry? Are you involved in anything? Well, no, I really don't have any gifts to do. Of course, you've got gifts to do ministry. Of course, you've got gifts to be a blessing to others. Of course, you've got words of life to share with others. And the Lord wants you to use the personality that he has given you so that he might receive glory and the things of Christ would go forward. You can tell people who love Christ because they're doing the things that Christ calls us to do. You can tell people who are mouthing the words because they're not doing anything about their love for Christ. Think about your life. You have to picture it all today. Do your actions demonstrate that you love Christ? And that's the proof. If we don't live it out, we can't say it. I can't say that I love Christ and not do anything that he calls me to do. Okay? The real moment for Peter, and the real moment for some of us this morning, is that question. Jesus says, do you love me? And we have to say, well, if I do, here's the evidence in my life. Okay? Do you really, really love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all the things in your life that take up your time? Do you love me with uh, more than um, the unimportant things that you spend your time doing? Do you love me more than your hobbies? Do you love me more than your work? Do you love me more than your family even? Jesus says, man will leave his father and mother. Okay? Who's my brother? He says, you got to drop all those things. Do you love me more than everything else in your life? That's the question. And it's not, it's, this is not a hypothetical question for us today. If we're believers, this is the question. Do we love Christ? How do we live? If we say we love Christ, our lives will be different. We will agape him. Donald, I'm going to use a conversation we had with a young man about 10 days ago. A young man came up and said, I'm thinking about going into music. And Donald said, don't go unless that's all you can do. And he pointed at me and said, it's like theology. If that is all that you can do, if that is the passion of your life, if you will find no joy and no peace doing anything else, then you can go into music or then you can go into ministry. I've had people say, Randy, I'm thinking about going into ministry. Do you think I should? My, my usual answer is no. I don't think so. Okay? Not unless it's all you can do. I mean, not that that's the only skill that you have, but it must be the consuming passion of your life. It must be all that you live for. It must be, you, you can't find joy doing anything else. If you can find joy being an accountant as a Christian, go be a Christian accountant. If you can find joy as a lawyer and be a Christian lawyer, go be a Christian lawyer. If you can't find joy in those things, if you can't find peace and, 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 and a, a calmness in those things, and you can only find it in ministry, then go into ministry. It must be the consuming thing of your life. Do you love me more than these? Then act like it. Then act like it. Jesus is telling Peter that the call upon his heart must consume him above everything else. Okay? And that is not just the call for those who are professionals. That's the call of every believer. We must wear this veil of life very thinly so that people can see through us. Okay, See through us. Yes, I'm an accountant, but what's, what's be, be behind that veil? I'm a, clearly a Christian. Yes, I'm a lawyer, but it's veiled, and here you can clearly see that I'm a Christian. Yes, you know, I'm a teacher, but it's obvious that I'm a Christian teacher. Those are the important things. Let's jump to the next, next verse, 18. And I'll give you the short version of this one. Peter, you're going to die in my service. You'll be crucified, and your death will glorify God. 
Now follow me. I mean, is that what you want to hear from the Lord? You're going to die. You're going to be crucified. It's going to glorify our Heavenly Father. Now come and follow me and let's get on with it. That's basically what Jesus says here. And, and the words are kind of veiled. He says, truly, truly, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands. That's an idiomatic statement for crucifixion in the first century. And someone will gird you. Someone will nail you to that cross and bring you where you do not wish to go, bring you to suffering bring you to pain. Nobody really wants to go to those places, but the call of Christ on Peter's life will take him there. It will take him there to his death. What does it mean to follow Christ? Because Jesus says you're going to die, now come and follow me. Three things for you in what it means to follow Christ. Very short. Turn over back to John chapter 12. To follow Christ means to be where Christ is. When we think about ministry, I want to be where Jesus is working. I want to be where the Heavenly Father is at work. Okay, We want to jump in and get involved at where God is already at work. We want to be a part of that. And wherever that is, that's where Jesus is. Chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, what's it mean to follow Christ? It's to be where Christ is. Christ is in a lot of places. In fact, he's everywhere. Sometimes he's at work very clearly, and we can see. Sometimes he calls us to a work. He says, this is where I'm going to be next, and I want you there. Now jump on board. If you love me, you'll serve me. This is what he calls us to, to follow him. Secondly, following Jesus means to have his attitude. It means to desire his holiness, to desire his purity, to desire obedience, and pattern your life so that you can do those things, to live in the same fashion that he did. Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as I am perfect. Can we ever be perfect? No, but that is our goal, is to strive to be like Christ. Pattern our lives after him. Third, following Jesus means a willingness to suffer and a willingness to sacrifice. In our world today, in our our society, when, when we say suffer, it's not the same as in other places. All you have to do is look up the voice of the martyrs or uh, any ministry like that and see people are giving their lives for the things of Christ in other parts of this world. They're being put into prison just because they want to preach the gospel. These things go on other places that don't go on here, but that doesn't mean that someday they might not. We just don't know. See, are you willing to suffer and to sacrifice? If you're going to follow me, then you have to what? Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Ooh, Do you know what that meant in the first century? Okay, now we've just come off Easter, so we have some idea. Christ had to carry the crossbeam of his cross to his own crucifixion. Now, everybody in the first century would have understood that. Uh, The Roman Roman general Verus um, quelched the revolt of Judas of Galilee. Okay, the Romans came in. They didn't stand for much, uh, much uh, contrary, many contrary views. So they came in. They crushed this revolt, and the Roman general Verus crucified two thousand Jews as punishment for the revolt. Now imagine if two thousand Huntsville people were crucified. They would carry the cross beam of that cross to the place where they would be crucified, and Verus left them up. Okay, crucifixion was a slow death. By suffocation, they let them die alongside the road. Just imagine driving up and down North and South Parkway with 2,000 people crucified along that 
And they were there for days, probably three days dying, and then the Roman government governor left them there for another three or four days just to rot as a reminder of who is in charge. So when he says, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me, everybody understood that that meant suffering. Everybody understood that that meant it would be hard. It would be very, very difficult. Now, that's the context of the first century. What does it mean today? What does it mean in your life here in Huntsville to pick up your cross and follow him? Is your life so easy that you really don't understand it? And I, you know, I have to think, when was the last time I was persecuted for being a Christian? Well, I had to think really hard. Okay? You've got to go outside the box in our society to really face persecution as a Christian. To really you know, get under the skin of people with the gospel. It becomes very difficult in our society to do that. But that's what we are called to do. Sometimes we are called simply to suffer for the things of Christ. Peter, do you love me? I mean, do you really, really love me? The fact that you're willing to follow me, to be where I am, to have my attitudes, to seek my holiness, to suffer and to sacrifice for me. What would Huntsville be like if we did that? If we took that on, what changes would come, maybe in our own family, in our own community? What changes would be between you and your neighbor? What changes would be between you and your cubicle at work and the next cubicle? If you took that call on to follow Christ and to love him more than anything else in your life. Look at the last verse. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. The depth of Christ and his love and his compassion and mercy. We're just scratching the surface in the Gospel of John about all the things that Christ did. Now there was a, an inmate at an insane asylum and he was so crazy they thought they simply locked the door and would feed food through the door and never looked at him. And after a while when the food stopped disappearing... They figured he was dead, so they opened the door, and in that room, penciled on the walls, they found this. Could we with ink the very ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The immensity of God's love and God's mercy. Does he call us to a life that is different? Yes, he does. But whenever he calls us to something, he always provides the means to achieve what he calls us to do. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard words. If you love me, you'll live like it. It's very simple. But are we willing to take our lives and follow you? Are we willing to go where you are at work? Are we willing to put aside our own attitudes and seek your holiness and seek your compassion and seek your justice, that these things would so fill our lives that they become simply a pattern of living for us. That when we're struck on the right cheek, we give them our left. 
Somebody asks us to go a mile, we go two. They ask for our shirt, we give them our coat as well. These are the things of the love of Christ. And we do them because the love of Christ compels us to do this. Not in a hope to earn grace, but because we've already received grace. And grace has so changed our lives as to make us so different than the world around us that they can't help but see these things flow from our lives. These things might involve suffering and sacrifice for us. It might call us to sacrifice our time, sacrifice the material things that we have, sacrifice our energies, change our priorities, whatever they may be, Lord. If we love you, we will follow you. If we love you, we will live like it. The question is to Peter, the question is to us. Do you love me? Well, if we do, we'll do what you call us to do. Lord, you have provided us with such power. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within the heart of each believer and enables us to do more than we can ever dream or imagine, and we do it for your glory. Lord, let us not be afraid. Let us not be timid with the things of Christ. Let us not be hesitant when the door is open. Let us walk through and proclaim the things of Christ, to do the works of Christ, to to show that we love him by our obedience and by submitting to his will for our lives. Lord, today I ask that you would spark something in each of us where this week we will see this, where we will apply this, Perhaps even today before we leave this place, your spirit will move in us and we will act. But Lord, don't let us remain the same. Don't let us go from here thinking, well, I can live the Christian life however I want. No, it demands that we are obedient to the words of Christ. We pray in our obedience, Lord, that you will be glorified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.